Jones, 30, 35, 40, he's in midfield, and they'll never catch The Show Me Your News Network proudly presents Down the Sidelines. And now, representing the Michigan Wolverines and the West Virginia Mountaineers, you may know them as Yoko and I'm a Beast, it's Peter Stasia and Joel Orndorff. Welcome back to the Gridiron. I'm Peter. And Down the Sidelines is a sports podcast that debates and predicts the latest in the athletic world. We are part of the Show Me Your News Network, and this is the 66th episode of the podcast on July 5th, 2014. Now, the number 66 could not have been worn better by Mario Lemieux uh, from the NHL, a famous center for the Pittsburgh Penguins, taking number one overall in the 1984 draft, won a couple Stanley Cups with them back-to-back. Well, I have a bone to pick with people who say Mario Lemieux. Now, I don't know if Mario Lemieux has ever come out and you know actually said the pronunciation of his name, but it's more of a bone to pick with people who say Mario in terms of, say, Super Mario Brothers. No, no, no. That is not the case, my friend. Unless it's, it's me, Mario. Like, that's... You're saying it wrong. So, I hear people say Mario Lemieux all the time, and that drives me crazy, because Mario, Mario Lemieux. Anyway, Joel is feeling under the weather, he's taking the episode off, which is fine, um, I get to do the show, and we really do hope he feels better, and it's it's a 4th of July weekend, he really deserves to relax on this extended holiday weekend, and we're recording this at 7am right now, so this is... One of the few, if not the only time, that Down the Sidelines will be recorded in the morning. Uh, It puts it at a very interesting time because with our three top stories here that we'll cover in the red zone, uh, with the three biggest sports stories the past couple weeks, we're kind of at a good place to to talk about them right now, which is advantageous. But first on this shorter episode, we're going to talk about the quick hits for the week. First of all, Jason Kidd was traded. Now, I think that may would make sense if, you know, Jason Kidd were still playing NBA basketball, but last year he was the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. They struggled a bit the first half of the season. Then the second half, they did an alright job. They ended up losing in the first round of the playoffs, I believe. I think it was to Toronto. Sounds about right. But it kind of begs the question, is Jason Kidd worth being traded? The thing here is that Jason Kidd tried to make a power play at the front office, and uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, who is the owner of the Nets over from Russia, guess he wasn't buying it. Jason Kidd wanted to, he was seeing the trend of, you know, coach and president of basketball operations. He said, I, I want to do that. I don't know if Jason Kidd had, you know, the merit to be able to step up to the plate and say, I'm a good coach, now I'm ready to take on more responsibility, though Jason Kidd has had some questionable decisions in the past. I mean, you may even remember as a coach last year, he tried to do the whole gag of spilling the Coke on the floor when he didn't have a timeout just to buy the timeout, and he was fined like $50,000 for that. So he tried to make that power play. It didn't work. And what's going to happen when you try to do something like that that's so bold, you're probably going to get fired. But he likely had a backup situation all planned out over in Milwaukee, where a friend of his and you know business partner is the owner so likely he had some sort of dealing as a fallback plan in case that didn't work. Uh, Larry Drew, the coach of the Bucks, was on vacation 
right after the NBA draft, they draft Jabari Park. He's getting prepped for the next season, and Larry Drew gets the call and says, sorry, Larry, you're out. Because Jason Kidd had his way in with the owner, likely, allegedly. And Jason Kidd is now the coach of the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks trade a couple second-round picks in next year's draft to Brooklyn for the race to Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd is now the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to be very interesting to see how he does this year. If he really is a good coach that deserves anything like that, which I think still has yet to be proven. And most of all, at the end of the year, is Jason Kidd going to make the same type of power play that he tried to do in Brooklyn? And will it be granted to him? I'd say give it a 75% chance, assuming he does a decent enough job this year. I mean, if he's that close with the owner, allegedly, then I could see why... Why would he not try it in Milwaukee when he tried it in Brooklyn? So keep an eye on that. Also in our trifecta of NBA quick hits, it's free agency time. And none of the big shoes have dropped when it comes to free agency. But the big three in Miami all opted out of their deals. LeBron James did about a week or so before the July 1st start of free agency. He said he's you know trying to give... Teams all the time they want to make moves, do whatever to court him. Rumors are that he's looking for a max deal, which he's never had. He's never even been the most paid player on the team, which is wild to think considering how good he actually is. And then Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh also opt out of their deals in Miami. Now this does mean that they can still return to Miami. And I think actually prevailing wisdom is thinking that this is the most likely alternative. However... They would have to take, you know, some sort of pay cut or, you know, rearrange their pay structure somehow. Dwayne Wade is not worth, you know, two years and $40 million or whatever he's looking for. You know, paying him $20 million a year at what he's at with his knees and he's wearing down, I think he's got to reconsider that. And then uh, Houston is also apparently looking at Chris Bosh as their plan B in case things don't work out on their free agency front. I would like to think... That the big three want to stay together, but they right now have no idea what LeBron James wants to do. And that's, that's a big factor in all this. I mean, we were talking last episode, where LeBron James goes, likely they're going to be the championship front runners. He really makes whatever team he goes to a contender, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops. Uh, Carmelo Anthony likely to announce where he's going to go this weekend. That has not been done yet as of Saturday morning here on July 5th. But he's been visiting all sorts of places, and the Los Angeles Lakers have offered him a four-year max deal. The New York Knicks have offered him a five-year max deal to try to stay there. So there are teams courting his services, and he's you know looking for a place with family and all that, and that's fine. A lot of other players, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki re-signed with Dallas for three years, and that's totally expected. He wasn't really going to go anywhere else. Pau Gasol is looking to move. He's you know later on in his you know years as a player, but. You know, there's a possible that, you know, maybe he goes to New York where Phil Jackson is and they set up some sort of triangle offense around him. Or maybe Phil Jackson is eventually looking at Marc Gasol, his brother, for next year. So there are pieces still to move and it could dramatically change the NBA landscape. Nothing has happened yet. It's just interesting to note that, you know, the big three are out. Though, if I had to you know put money on it, I'd say they'd be coming back to Miami. Though, they got to get some more size. That was definitely their weakness in the end of the playoffs there. Sticking with the NBA, though, the NBA draft is the last of our quick hits here. And I'll tell you, it was, it was a draft. It was not too 
you know, out of the ordinary, I guess. You know, last year was a little strange with Anthony Bennett going number one out of NC State to Cleveland. And this is the year with the Cleveland Cavaliers having the number one pick for the third year in four years. That's just wild. Andrew Wiggins did end up going number one. So back when, you know, we thought he was, you know, coming into school and he was probably the favorite for the number one pick. Turns out it stuck that way. Though, I'm surprised by that. I thought Jabari Parker would have been a likely fit, but there is talk that uh, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, was kind of overridden last year on the Andrew Bennett pick. Sorry, Anthony Bennett pick. And that didn't work out too well. Uh, That was not a good move, unless he still has yet to develop and he's just, you know, a late bloomer here. But that is not looking like a good number one pick. And so Dan Gilbert probably made more of the power play and said... I'm going to take my guy I like. I like Andrew Wiggins. Okay, yeah, fine. You're pairing up with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving also got a max deal from Cleveland, so he's signed back on. They're looking to bring LeBron in, and I think if LeBron James does not go back to Miami, I think Cleveland might actually be the more likely spot for him to end up if it's going to be with a new team. It makes sense for a homecoming story, and with those pieces in place, like there is the potential for a you know title contending team. Gosh, I'm sorry, back to the free agency. If the Heat lose all three of their pieces, that franchise is, is rebuilding mode done for a while. You can't just lose three big players like that all in one fell swoop and you know expect to you know do well this upcoming season. That's that's just crazy. Uh Joel Embiid we talked about last time with the foot injury, and that's likely what had him slip from the number one spot because he was the top pick coming into this whole thing, so he would have, you know, superseded Kansas teammate Andrew Wiggins and been that number one pick had he not had the injury questions around him. But he falls number three to Philadelphia. As I you know, mentioned earlier, number two was Jabari Parker with the Milwaukee Bucks, Jason Kidd's new squad. Uh, from there, Aaron Gordon to the Magic at number four. Dante Exum, the point guard from Australia, to the Utah Jazz at number five. Marcus Smart, Oklahoma State, uh, to number six, to the Boston Celtics. The L.A. Lakers pick up Kentucky's Julius Randle. Nick Stauskas from the University of Michigan at number 8 to the Sacramento Kings. Noah Vonley from Indiana to the Charlotte Hornets at number 9. That could have been the Detroit Pistons pick, but, you know, that that franchise and picks they made in the past and moves with Ben Gordon and Charlotte and... Oh, we, we talked about that on a previous episode. That's just ridiculous. But yeah, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that was also a thing from a few weeks ago where their name is now officially the Charlotte Hornets. As opposed to the Charlotte Bobcats, they revealed the new jerseys. A very interesting purple-teal combination. Looking very old school with the Charlotte Hornets and the colors there. But the logo's updated. It looks very sharp. Really interesting to see. And then at number 9, it's Elfried Payton. Uh, from, I'm trying to remember what school he's from. Louisiana Tech? Some smaller mid-major school like that. And he goes to the Philadelphia 76ers as well with Joel Embiid. Uh, other points of note, Adrian Payne from Michigan State to the Atlanta Hawks at number 15. Tyler Ennis, point guard from Syracuse to the Phoenix Suns. Mitch McGarry from Michigan, who sat out a lot of last or sat out a lot of this year, this past year. But he was a big player in Michigan's Final Four run two seasons ago. Uh, he got in the first round, number 21 of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Gave him some size. Uh, I think he still has a lot of developing to do. It would have really helped him to play this past year, but he had a lot of you know back injuries, and back injuries on a big man, that usually does not help. 
And Shabazz Napier, the, the big player of the NCAA tournament this past year. Point guard, going to the Charlotte Hornets as well. Um, so it was an interesting draft. Um, don't have much to predict out of it necessarily. Otherwise, it could have been in our, in our red zone there. But it happened. It, we'll, we'll have to see how the, the chips fall here. And it's, it's mostly going to be a question of, is that pick of Andrew Wiggins going to be enough to draw LeBron James to Cleveland? Though, people are wondering if there is any position that a team is lacking that you know LeBron James could do. It is a point guard. I mean, LeBron James has no problem carrying the ball up the basketball court, but you have Kyrie Irving there. And it's, it would be interesting to see if he ended up there. Though, again, like I said earlier, and I think Joel would agree with me here, it's likely that they're all going to come back to Miami under some sort of restructured you know, sort of settlement there. So let's get into the red zone. Uh, we're starting at the 20-yard line with Wimbledon. And Wimbledon's playing at the All England Tennis Club uh, over in London. And you may wonder, why does it feel like Wimbledon just suddenly happened and now we're on the weekend of finals in the men's and ladies draw? Well, that's probably because of the World Cup. Uh, the World Cup just dominates so much of the sport's attention in the world overall. And Wimbledon has just come and gone. Uh, very surprising over in the ladies' draw. Let's start with that because in less than an hour you have the final kicking off for that. Kicking off? I don't even know if that's the right phrase. Serving off? No, we should probably stop with this, this metaphor here. Serena Williams uh, knocked out early and then looked very strange on the court during her doubles match uh, shortly thereafter with Venus Williams. So she withdrew from that. It's very surprising when Serena loses at Wimbledon. She is so dominant there. And it makes you wonder, like, is her time in women's tennis soon coming to a close? I think she still has a couple majors left in her, uh, a couple grand slams. But at the same time, I mean, when she's starting to lose, and this is a couple years now, I think, she's starting to lose at you know the place she's most dominant at, I think that's a you know sign that she's wrapping up. Uh, it's almost like if Rafa Nadal loses at the French Open. But speaking of Rafa Nadal, over on the men's draw, he lost early too. Uh, lost in the fourth round to, you know, a kid who you know really did not continue much further after that. Maybe he only got to the quarterfinals. Uh, that was very surprising. You know, thought it would be another Djokovic-Nadal match. Uh, and that's not happening. Andy Murray who won last year's Wimbledon to the delight of those in the United Kingdom, he was out too, uh, losing, I believe, to Grigor Dimitrov, who's the up-and-comer from Bulgaria, who's right now in, uh, he got to the semis, ended up losing to Djokovic, who's now in the finals, to face off against Roger Federer, who beat uh, Milos Raonic, uh, Canadian. So it's Djokovic and Federer, in the men's draw, and I think as you know, we make the play here on down the sidelines with our predictive element of the show. Question of who wins the men's and women's draws. I think you gotta like Djokovic uh, in the men's draw. Federer is playing well, and again, he is a case of you know when he starts to slip at Wimbledon, like the end starting to come. He hasn't gotten back to Grand Slam titles too often recently, so I think this was a case of. Nadal and Murray clearing the way for Federer, uh, and that's helping his case. But I think Djokovic 
number one overall seed, still at a point in his career where he's looking to win more Grand Slams. And I think he is a still a strong enough player to do that. If Federer beats Djokovic on Sunday, don't get me wrong, I'd be happy with that. I do like Roger Federer as a player. But I think looking at it objectively, I think it, it's Djokovic's to win, and he'll probably hold up that plate again on on Sunday. Over in the ladies' draw, though, it's Eugenie Bouchard, who is the first Canadian woman to reach a Grand Slam final. Now, she's been getting to the last few semis, but she's been making her break here at Wimbledon. She's the darling of the tournament, and a lot of analysts are really liking her chances. She's up against Petra Kvitova, who is from the Czech Republic, the 2011 Wimbledon champion, and so she's looking to make a statement as well. Uh, you know, a lot of you know, favorites, you know, Maria Sharapova taken out a couple rounds ago, uh, Eugenie Bouchard was up against Simona Halep, who we were talking about during the French Open. And out of that semis pairing, I was liking her to, you know, advance because of how well she played at the French. Uh, but it's it's looking to be Eugenie Bouchard, and I think you I think it'd be wise to to put the the gamble on her. However, you can't deny the experience at Wimbledon with Kvitova, and. I would not be surprised to see her walk away with the championship here at Wimbledon. But all things considered, with how well Bouchard is playing, it's looking like she is going to be the one to win that. So, Wimbledon. I mean, I really enjoy watching tennis tournaments. I really will enjoy watching these these finals these next couple days. But it's all about the World Cup. And I think that's what's been taking away from it this year. Before we get to the World Cup, though, we're a few games away from the Major League Baseball All-Star break here at the 10-yard line in our red zone. So a couple games away, I mean, we're on what, Saturday here. Sunday will be the last, you know, slate of games before, you know, Monday, the Home Run Derby, which is going to be a, like team-based, apparently, a lot more matchup-based, seven outs, so we'll see if that'll help shorten that overdrawn event. And then Tuesday is the All-Star Game because it matters and it determines the home field advantage for the World Series. I happen to be going to a game today with the Tigers, the Detroit Tigers, you know, in the Metro Detroit area, uh, taking on the Tampa Bay Rays. So it's a, it's a Father's Day thing. We're going to get you know, good seats. My dad's been going through some tough stuff with you know his side of the family and whatnot. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to that. However, let's uh, we'll look at the different standings right now and see kind of where the different teams have positioned themselves uh, going into the All-Star break. Over in the American League East, it's Baltimore on top with Toronto a half game behind. Uh, you know, expected these teams to be good, but it does kind of break the, the standard, you know, expectations of, oh, if they yanks and a socks, and, and then the Rays would be pretty good too. Well, the Rays had actually been struggling. They're 11 games under 500. They're nine games back of Baltimore, and Boston's only a game up on Tampa. So Boston's been struggling a little bit more uh, this year. And we were expecting you know, that team to get back to the World Series and you know, do well. Actually, I, I had a, a different AL, AL pick, if I remember correctly. Uh, but Baltimore in first place uh, coming up soon to the All-Star break. And that's, that is surprising. Now the Yankees are three games back. Definitely helped their pitching staff to get Masahiro Tanaka, who is already up to 12 wins on the year. He is pitching great. Uh, definitely worth him coming over from Japan for that pitching staff. 
And you know their offense is starting to get it back together. So they're right now a game above 500. So they're they're doing average, but this is a team that you could probably expect to take off uh, and have a good second half of the season. And in Jada's last season, the fond farewell. Ow. Over in the AL Central, though, it's it's been an interesting uh, run for the Detroit Tigers, the local team where I am at. Right now, they are 13 games up above 500. Uh, they have had they've gone seven and three in their last ten. Uh, they've had a really remarkable stretch, actually. It would probably be, oh gosh, for their last 13, I think it would almost be ten and three. They've had a really good run lately, but they had a dreadful May, uh, or no, is he? Yeah, May into June. They had a dreadful run where they went, you know, ten and twenty. Uh, they had Kansas City, the team who's right now, you know, nipping at their heels. Uh, the Kansas City Royals, young up and coming team. Uh, Kansas City took first place for a little while, for a few days there, and that's been the first time that's happened in that overall weak division for quite a few years. But Detroit started to put it back together. Uh, I think it's still a long rest of the season. If anything has taught me about being a Detroit Tigers fan in the past several years, I mean. In my childhood, this team was just, it was dreadful. I mean, they had the 120 losses in 2003. I mean, that's thats terrible in Major League Baseball. But its its you can't run away with this division. It's going to be rather close. They may break away from it late, but it's not like, you know, this division's already decided. So, going to be interesting to see what happens in the Central uh, Cleveland's eight games back at the moment. Chicago White Sox nine and Minnesota eleven. So they're all kind of middling towards the bottom. Uh, if any team is likely going to catch Detroit, it's going to be Kansas City. Uh, they have much better pitching this year, and they're putting their offense together. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see what Detroit is doing under first year manager Brad Ausmus. And over in the AL West, it's the Oakland Athletics. Uh, this is my you know favorite to win the World Series to get to the World Series from the AL. Uh, picked them at the beginning of the year, along with the Atlanta Braves from the National League. Uh, and they're 53-33 and 33 right now. They are a strong team. Offense is very strong. The pitching has been really good. And they actually just uh, made a move for the Chicago Cubs' Cubs' uh, Jeff Samarja. And who remembers Jeff Samarja as a tight end at the University of Notre Dame for the football team? I do. And then he went and became a pitcher and... It was with a, a bad Chicago Cubs team, but no, they made a move for him, so strengthened the pitching staff. They had to give up their top prospect, uh, shortstop uh, Edison, and I'm um, missing his last name. And just watch that name, you know, come up and be like, "Oh, you didn't remember this guy's name?" Ha ha ha. His first name's Addison. I, I think that's what I remember, and not his last name. So. Watch, watch that happen. Uh, Los Angeles Angels, good to see them You know, playing better than they did last year. Last year was dreadful for that team. They're only three and a half games back uh, in the West. Seattle's right there. And then Texas and Houston, uh, they're towards the bottom. Texas dealing with a lot of injuries. Prince Fielder out for the year. Uh, they've taken some other injuries. That's that's a unfortunate year for that team so far. Um, so right now, your leaders, and it could change because Toronto's only a half game back with you know two games still to go until the break. But it's Baltimore, Detroit, and Oakland currently uh, topping the American League divisions. Over in the National League, it's the Atlanta Braves over in the National League East, which is, it's not surprising, they're 10 games above 500. And you have the Washington Nationals a game and a half back. So good to see the Nationals back. Uh, you know, Last year we thought they were going to be a team that made a run, and they did not. Uh, and they're still waiting to get Bryce Harper back from injury, who he looks to be ready. Miami not at the bottom. They're only four games back behind 500. Uh, this is a big... Breakout year for Giancarlo Stanton. 
hitting towering home runs. And speaking of breakout years, I forgot to mention, of the Chicago White Sox, it's all about Jose Abreu. Uh, the rookie from Cuba has actually missed some of the years so far due to injury, and he has 27 home runs at the moment before the break. That's incredible for a rookie. So, you know, with baseball, you sometimes have to wonder, like, is there foul play here? Is there you know, performance-enhancing drugs, even with all the crackdowns that they've tried to do? Uh but at face value, you have to say that's remarkable what he's doing. Uh, great, great, you know, attempts for, at you know, records for for rookies, really. Uh, so very impressive so far from Jose Abreu. I, I can't remember if he's in the home run derby lineup, which he likely is. And for a young player, especially, you don't want to be in the home run derby. That's going to mess up your swing. And this is almost what happened with Chris Davis last year. I mean, Chris Davis had a torrential start and really slowed down. Yeah, he ended up with almost you know 50 home runs, close to it. But the second half of the season after that home run derby didn't do as well. So, interesting to see there. I'm sorry. Anyway, back to the NL East. Yeah, Miami, who's you know four games under 500, much better than they've been in past years. Uh, but they're still probably not going to go that far. And then the Mets in Philadelphia, uh, not doing as well. In the Central, I think the big surprise this year is the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they're putting it together, playing good baseball. They're 51-36. and 36. They have the most wins in Major League Baseball to this point. And granted, you know, a couple teams very close behind them in that regard. But they had a very hot start to start off the year. Uh, they really kept it going. Haven't really hit too many you know, losing streaks. They're right now 4-6 and six in their last 10. You're going to average around you know, 500 there. But they're four games up on the St. Louis Cardinals. And for as well as the Cardinals do, that's pretty impressive. That's really, really a nice job that Milwaukee's doing. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, Joel's Pittsburgh Pirates, four games above 500, five and a half games back in the division. Uh, I don't, it would be, it sure would be something if they made the playoffs again this year. But I think for that franchise to establish a winning culture, you got to hope they at least end up above 500. Uh, that's really all you can ask right now of this team this year. Uh, Cincinnati Reds, six games back. So that's going to be a pretty close central division coming down the wire. Except the Cubs are out of it again. Uh, they're 12 games back. Uh, no, they're sorry. They're eight games behind 500. So 11 and a half back of Milwaukee. But they're probably not looking to make any big moves if they're you know, dumping one of their pitchers over to Oakland. Unless they want that shortstop prospect to start immediately. But we'll see about that. Over in the National League West, our last division here, it's the Dodgers and the Giants. Uh, the Dodgers have 50 wins on the year. They're at the top of the division. The San Francisco Giants are a game and a half back of that. Uh, for the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw, currently on a 36-inning scoreless streak. Uh, you wouldn't have thought it when I got the chance to see him in Arizona, and he got shellacked for about seven earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. That was a, a dreadful performance in mid-May there, uh, but he's really put it together, and he is, you know, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball right now, and he's really showing it right now. Uh, the Padres are under, uh, the rest of the division, my goodness, Padres are nine and a half back, Colorado's 13 back, and Colorado had a good start this season, too. That, they're one and nine in their last 10. They're not playing good baseball. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are 13 and a half games back, 36 and 52 uh, that does make them tied for the lowest record in the bigs with the Houston Astros, 36-52 and 52 at this point. So the predictive element of the show, will there be a current division leader that misses the playoffs? And if so, which team? 
I think it could be the Baltimore Orioles. Um, you know, there's too many teams right now in that American League East that could make a run. Toronto is playing much better this year than they did last year. They had high expectations last year with all the acquisitions that they had through trades and free agency. And the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees are right there, and they're you know putting the pitching together, and the offense is doing all right as well. So I think if any team has the chance to miss the playoffs, um, I think it would be Baltimore. The other option is if Milwaukee somehow cools off drastically, and I could see that happening as well. I don't know if there's necessarily the the depth on the team to make a deep run in the playoffs. I mean, the rest of these teams, you know, Detroit, Oakland, Atlanta, the Dodgers, even the Giants, if the Di- the Giants you know, nip the Dodgers to, to take the division at least, you know, those are all teams that can make deep playoff runs. I just don't know if Milwaukee has it in them. But if I had to guess, if one happens, which I think it's possible with the other teams right behind them, I think in Baltimore could see them missing the playoffs, even though they currently lead the division at this point. But yes, we are in the knockout round of the World Cup, and that is our five-yard line story, the top story in our red zone here. Uh, you know, the United States, kudos to them. They did make it with a one nothing loss to Germany. They had the tie-breaking differential of Portugal, who beat Ghana in that last game. That was crucial. So... Kudos to the United States, making it through that group of death. Uh, very impressive. They got the the second seed placement, um, and I think that's that's an accomplishment enough for them. You know, the the country was enraptured with their performance, um, and they got the second place uh, seed with their group in G. So they went up against uh, number one seed in Group H, and that's Belgium. Now Belgium shellacked the U.S last year, and uh, when they played in a friendly, I think it was 4-2. So, Belgium's a very talented team, and somehow must have missed out on that one, because Belgium, you know, dominated the United States in play. Uh, It did go to extra time scoreless, but Belgium got two goals, United States got one back, they had a chance, and uh, their striker blew it, Uh, and that was really, really tough to see, uh, you know, happen. Uh, Really unfortunate. But Tim Howard was... Just who played on his head? It was it was incredible to watch Tim Howard make 16 saves, and that is the most in a World Cup match I believe since 1966. Uh, so he really played remarkably. And Joel wanted me to mention the hashtag on Twitter: things Tim Howard could save. Uh, we'll try to link that in the show notes if we can. Uh, a collection of different things that. Tim Howard in all his goalie-saving positions. What else could Tim Howard save? You'll have to check that out. That was quite the meme going around. Uh, but he played remarkably. Uh, even you know on Wikipedia, it was changed to U.S. Secretary of Defense, Tim Howard. Uh, it, was, it was impressive. Uh, but really, the United States did get outplayed in that game. They did have no reason to win that game. So kudos to Belgium. Uh, you know, The United States did only go as far as we almost expected them to. Uh, but they have a lot of young talent, and it really did hurt with Josie Otsdor, you know, the, their striker, being injured in the first 20 or so minutes of the first match. Uh, he was cleared to come back, but if anything, he would have been a late sub at best. Uh, he had a grade, a grade two hamstring tear at that first match, and you know, he may have been cleared, but he probably should not have come back. Uh, just you know, save his health and have him get better. So, Belgium plays Argentina, who 
keeps getting these lucky breaks, I've noticed, in their matches with very late goals. Uh, Lionel Messi really helping them, whether it's you know scoring the goals or you know providing the assist on the goal. So they beat Switzerland. So it's Argentina and Belgium, the lower uh, right of the bracket. On that same side, you have today's matches. Uh, well, Netherlands beat Mexico, and Mexico was leading one to nothing for most of that game. Netherlands comes back in like the 86th and 90 minute. Like it was, it was crazy to see them scoring on back-to-back goals, and one of them was a, a questionable flop. And I think it was uh, Arjen Robin who took a dive, and that was a penalty kick. And uh, you hate to see that be the game deciding goal, especially when it was happened so close. So Netherlands beat Mexico, and they move on to face Costa Rica, who beat Greece in penalty kicks. And that was a great penalty kick round. I mean, it's fun. It's, don't get me wrong. It's fun to watch PKs when you have no investment in who's going to win. Then it's fun to watch. It's still a dumb way to decide a match, especially when but when they've been playing for, you know, 120 minutes. And they're exhausted. You can see it in some of the players. Uh, you know, Costa Rica's star, uh, Joel Campbell, I think his name is, he was trying to, you know, put together some runs at the end of the game, but he, had, he was gassed. He had nothing. And you just don't want to see... Soccer played like that when just, you know, you have nothing left and you're all out of subs. And so for some things like that, it's almost best to go to PKs, even though it's a very, very heavy, you know, dilution of the action that soccer can present. Or or football, sorry. I'm an American. I'm going to call it soccer because for us, especially on this show, football means something else entirely. So Costa Rica moves on. They face the Netherlands today. And that'll be one of the games that's at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern today on, on Saturday, July 5th. Uh, I like the Netherlands moving on in that one. They have been playing very strong this entire tournament. They haven't lost a game. And uh, I think early on, you know, last episode for sure, uh, we were saying we like the Netherlands to likely come out of this spot. Um, and on the other side, well, we our, our team is still in it. Our, our team that we, we both picked to likely move on. We know Brazil is a heavy favorite. Don't get me wrong, but Brazil has had some shaky play. They beat Chile on penalty kicks. That would have been incredible if Chile pulled off that upset. And then Colombia handled Uruguay. Luis Suarez, the bite, when Uruguay is trying to play Italy for the right you know, to move on. And Uruguay did win that match with Italy, so they moved on the knockout run. But uh, Luis Suarez, a clear bite on you know the neck back of uh, an Italian player. Something he's known for, unfortunately. You know, two previous instances of this. So, he's suspended for the rest of the World Cup, nine matches, and a four-month stadium ban. Cannot enter a soccer stadium for four months. Uh, he's, you know, said he's sorry and all that, but Uruguay's chances kind of died on the vine once he, you know, got hit with that. So, Colombia moved on easily. They've been a very entertaining team to watch, but Brazil kind of put the nail in the coffin with their chances yesterday in the quarterfinals. Brazil on to the semis. Uh... You know, with two goals, Colombia did try to, you know, they got a PK, a uh, penalty kick back. So, Brazil did move on, though. So, they face Germany, who not only beat Algeria in a very exciting match that went to extra time as well. And, oh, man, they they scored, you know, very early on in the extra time. And then they scored very late, so it was 2-1. But Algeria scored like a minute later, and they tried it again at the end. That was an exciting match. Uh, Germany beat Algeria. Then France handled Nigeria uh, two nothing. Nigeria, I think, would have been you know, one of the weaker teams in that you know final sixteen. And France had not lost as well up to that point, but Germany handled them one nothing yesterday. Scored in the thirteenth minute, played good defense. France had a shot. 
at the end there, but Neuer for Germany, their keeper, made the crucial save. So now it's Brazil-Germany in the semifinals, and I like Germany in that matchup. I think Brazil's been playing some shaky some shaky football, if you will. Some some soccer that's been a little bit questionable of you know what you'd think their heavy chances would be in this hometown tournament. Not to mention Neymar, their their key star player, you know, goes up for a ball yesterday, gets kneed in the back, and it shows he's a broken vertebra. Ah, uh, that's that's crazy. I mean, he's out for the rest of the World Cup, and he is one of the catalysts. He's had like four goals this tournament. So I think with that and then the confidence that Germany is playing with right now, I think Die Mannschaft of Deutschland moves on to the final. And I think Two-Face would would be an eventual uh, Netherlands and Argentina matchup. I think Argentina is going to find some way to get it done against Belgium, as talented as Belgium is, though I would not be surprised to see Belgium move on. I think Netherlands playing too strong right now, though. And so I think the question of making the play, who makes the final here, I think it's Germany and Netherlands. This is kind of what we said you know, last week, a couple weeks ago with our last episode, I'm liking Germany and the Netherlands here, and I'll take Deutschland. Uh, you know, family from Germany. Mom teaches German. I, I am partial to Germany. They made their fourth straight World Cup semifinal. No team's ever done that. They're playing very well right now. They're kind of coming into their own. So I'll take Germany and the Netherlands. It's going to be exciting to watch these two semifinal matches. Uh, sorry, these, these two quarterfinal matches today with Netherlands, Costa Rica, and Argentina-Belgium today as they'll set up that. So by the next time, we'll have our World Cup you know, championship already decided. Uh, but I hope it's die Mannschaft. Go Deutschland. And I think that's about all we have to cover on uh, this episode of Down the Sidelines. You know, I'm, I'm sorry I missed Joel this week. He, guy deserves to take a break, so let him do that. Uh, you know, knocked out a, you know, just me talking here at you for about... 40 minutes or so this morning. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, let us know who you think your World Cup favorites are right now. Um, you know, Wimbledon, it's going to be exciting to see those matches. And baseball all-star break. I mean, I'll, I'll turn it into some home run derby. I'm not going to watch all of it because that, I think, takes two to three hours. And that's that's ridiculous. Uh, but the all-star game should be a fun watch. And then I get to go to Comerica Park today. So we'll take some pictures of that, put it on my Twitter account. If you want to follow me, uh, I'm at S-M-Y-N-Y-O-U-K-O, S-M-Y-N Yoko. Uh, down the sidelines, you can find us at S-M-Y-N Sidelines on Twitter. And follow us on Facebook as well with uh, Down the Sidelines. So with that, I'm Peter, and we hope you enjoy the week in sports. Have a good one.